Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Lola Areemo. She is a DEI professional, and she is an author of an upcoming book, which the working title is Immigrant Woman in Corporate America and Belonging. So she'll talk a little bit about that, her life, and just kind of all the good things she's got going on. So thank you so much, Lola, for being here. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat with you. My name is Lola Diemo, as uh, she said, and I am based in San Diego, California, but I grew up in Nigeria, West Africa, and I spent the first 26 years of my life there. So um, introducing me is a big part of, I think, coming in tonight to the United States. So I spent more more years of my life in Nigeria than America at this point. So <laughs> definitely a big part of my identity. Um, things happened pretty fast. I came into the U.S. in 2009 as a student, as an international student at the University of Houston. And then I moved into corporate America in less than two years. So things happened pretty quickly, but um, I've been in the life science and biotech space for uh, the most of my professional life, actually not most, all, because I'm a scientist by background, biochemistry, biotechnology degrees. So moving into DEI, kind of like the people side of things, uh, was one I didn't see coming, but I'm excited to where I ended up. But the scientist part of me is still uh, very much at work here, but humanizing people's experiences in the workplace. So when you first came over to the U.S., was the goal to end up staying? I think so. I mean, everyone that comes to the U.S., you want to finish school and get a job here. Yeah. But again, I grew up in a relatively small town in Nigeria. I went to schools that were all a couple of miles from my house um, in a community where my name, my family name is known and we all know each other for elementary, secondary school, which is high school and college. They were all short distance to my house. Then making the move to come all the way, I don't think I gave it more thoughts beyond that was normal. You finish school and then you find a job. <laughs> Yeah. And what was the differences in life like for those first few years in the U.S.? Like how much had your life changed? Oh, my gosh. So I came in August of 2009. And I was in corporate America by 2000. I graduated 2010, December. And I got my first job in 2011. So everything happened pretty quickly because school was fast for me. Obviously, um, I finished, I was a full-time student. So the, the reality didn't really dawn until I started work. Because in college, international students supported um, 
the office of international students had a lot of programs. So I worked on campus. I was very involved. I was very involved in the student government leadership program. So I just got really immersed with the college experience. Um, and I was so busy that I didn't have time to think about the differences. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't see a lot of people that were from Nigeria uh, on my campus. So that was uh, something, but there were a lot of Indian students on my campus. So I would say I did see other people that come from different places, but not a lot of people from Nigeria. So it was more of beginning to realize that you don't have a network here and you are in a new space, um, but everybody was in the academic culture. So we were all kind of aligned in what we were trying to do to finish school. It, it, it made the transition a little bit easier. Um, but also coming from Nigeria into Texas, I think the biggest shock for me was the language communication barrier <laughs> and and the the Texas drawl and you know going to the grocery store, going into town, and the way they talk and not being able to figure out what they're saying, and people not understanding me. So in terms of you know going outside the campus, that was the biggest you know thing I I felt was the communication difference. And did you stay in Texas for a long time or did you go? No, I didn't. I I actually, so I moved to San Diego in January of 2011. Yeah. And so what was California then like compared to Texas and Nigeria? I think by the time I came to California, I was beginning to realize um, there's a difference in the way I talk. This is America. There's more diversity here. Not everybody is like me. So I think I was a little bit prepared, but not necessarily very prepared um, because I joined a large uh, company here. And if you think about it, California, not a lot of Black people as well, or well, San Diego and in the space and industry that I'm in, which is biotech. But there's a lot more diversity. It's, it's sort of like a melting pot of people from everywhere. So <laughs> is I almost feel like I felt more, I saw more people that I connected with here than over there um, within my small circle of uh, campus town. Because I went to University of Houston Clear Lake, which is a smaller sector of Houston. And then I came... My first job was at uh, a large company in San Diego. So I think there's more diversity here as far as everybody's from somewhere. Everybody's a mix of something in San Diego. And I could, you know, speaking was a lot easier here <laughs> than in Texas. So that was the main difference. And so then what made you decide to go into the world of DEI? So it wasn't a conscious decision. I think it was a belonging search that got me there. So the work I do now, um, my DEI work, I actually, I'm focused on employee resource groups. So I, I work with employee resource group. I help companies start them. I, I help uh, employee resource groups uh, develop and train and I speak around that. And it's because employee resource group was a path um, that I dove into 
that helped me with belonging at work. If you're not familiar with employee resource groups, there's this network of internal groups within companies and employees have free entry across divisions, across everything. And um, when I talk about employee resource groups now, I talk about it as spaces for belonging. Everybody gets to belong their way. So working um, in corporate America with isolation and kind of trying to figure out this corporate space, I found employee resource group uh, because somebody invited me for an event and I got into that space and the program was really impactful and I got to connect with a lot of people. And so I discovered this concept of, wait, so I can actually join whatever group I want. And for me, I think because I'm a black person in corporate America, everybody just assumes you're black American and I'm not. And my experiences were not the same. So I kept getting all of this conflicting identity with Black American history in America and things where I'm also a learner, um, but I'm getting all of these. So I ended up joining the Women's Employee Resource Group. And for, because for me, growing up in Nigeria, um, equity for women Quality for women was kind of like bigger for me, like not seeing a lot of women in the kind of spaces, um, having limited expectations or kind of boxed expectations of what you're supposed to be or do as a woman. So I think finding the Women Employer Resource Group pushed me into that space gradually. And then I began to get involved with um, organizations that were focused on women advancement, women development and initiatives. Um, and then I ended up getting involved with more employer resource groups. Depending on the stage of life, I got involved with the Black Employer Resource Group. I got involved with the Working Parents Employee Resource Group. And so I discovered this passion for all employee resource groups. Basically, I was stretching myself out because I felt like the more time I spent at events for one employer resource group, the more I really learned so much and connected with the people. And I was like, this is so good for everybody to know about, to be a part of, because within this large global corporation, everybody who is feeling isolated, everybody who is feeling left out, you can find your community internally, depending on what's important to you, right? Whatever dimension of your identity is important to you, you can find it. So ERGs kind of put me into the DNI space, and then I ended up um, getting a role formally in the D on the DEI team at my company, and and you know I knew about that group, and they knew about me because of my engagement with ERGs. So what is like what is the best way for an ERG to function within a company? <laughs> the best way. <laughs> <laughs> The best and perfect way is to have the full support of leadership in a company that has a robust diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy in place and folds in employee resource group support as part of their strategy. So the challenges, maybe the challenges will be easier <laughs> to talk about more for ERGs is first you have people that are part of these groups, because they are passionate about the groups, right? So you have individuals that are very passionate about, you know, disabilities. They join disability ERG or they join veterans ERG or they join 
working because they have a passion for this group or they have a need to feel belonging and through this group, right? But passion alone can only take you so far. There's a lot that you need as a person and for your career development that if you don't get, you're going to get frustrated. So companies that don't have uh, a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy and try to make ERG their DEI strategy will struggle. And the ERG members will also struggle. So I think the, the best way <laughs> is a comprehensive diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy and also financial support and commitment by the company uh, for the ERGs. Another thing is compensation. Uh, good thing is compensations around compensation are on the increase right now. So that's good because, again, ERG members do it because they're passionate about it. And then you go over above and beyond your day job to work to elevate these groups within an organization. If your work is isolated and you're trying to do it on your own, if you're not appreciated, if you're not provided the resources and tools to get better at leading the group, if you are not uh, provided funding to run programs, if your company leadership is not supporting you, like fully on board, not just giving you money, you know, sometimes money might be the easiest thing to give. If you don't have people in positions of power and authority supporting your ERG, it could be very frustrating for the ERG members and group. So there's a lot that goes into it. And that's kind of like where my work comes in, because it's not a one and done thing. You don't set up an ERG and say, oh, we're good. You know, you have to, you know, you have to have a, a goal, a strategy map. You have to continuously assess. You have to communicate. There has to be a feedback loop, because if you have the group, you have a way to get insights from that group. You have to be leveraging it, be taking input and acting on it and continue to go back to the group and uh, make them a part of your business strategy. And what sort of things should an ERG be doing to be successful? So as, a, as, a, as an ERG group, what I always start is, is know why you exist. Know your why. Um, because Every ERG doesn't have the same goal, you know? So start with making sure you have a charter document, you have a vision statement clear and with alignment from the company. Um, so make sure you are clear on that and make sure you revise it as needed because sometimes that alone causes stress and confusion, right? So making sure that you have uh, that and also at the individual level, right? The members, the people that are doing this work, think about it and think about your career as well. Because I think um, another myth is like, well, you you act like you're there as a sacrifice, like, oh, I'm here to serve my company. You know, that, that, that will fade really fast. If you don't see anything in it for you, if you don't see a way that this is helping you develop your skills, uh, develop yourself, if you don't see it, then you're going to get tired. And you have people that will quit the ERG and will say, I need to focus on my career. And a lot of times I look at it like, well, you should be able to incorporate it with your career or you're wasting your time, right? So there needs to be something in it for you and then for the company and then transferable to your day job as well, right? So it should be a lot of 
touch points within the company. But an ERG as a group definitely needs a guiding document where everybody is aligned. You have the right stakeholders, um, really clear on why you exist. Because like the women ERG and the uh, uh, black ERG might not have the same goal. And most times they don't. Might not have the same challenges, right? So really drilling down to why are we coming together as a group? And, and getting clear on that, because that will drive your strategy and your programs and the people you're pitching to as you look for funding, the kind of speakers you're bringing, um, everything is going to fold into getting clear on your way. And what were some of your favorite things that came out of the ERGs that you were in? I think the, the, the um, connections, uh, learning, learning to work with people who are different um, from you. Uh, I did a, a DISC. It's, I don't know if you're familiar with DISC. DISC is a, a team work assessment, workplace assessment. Uh, and I think the very first time I did it with a team was with an ERG group. And it was just seeing how accurate it helped me to see people in a different light, right? This person just has a different work style. This person has a different thought process than me. This person doesn't necessarily like slowing things down. They just focus on the details. This person, you know, doesn't necessarily um, question you. They just want to know more before they will commit, you know. And then you can also get on other people's nerves because this is where you excel, but not everybody sees that as a strength. So I think being able to work with people towards a common goal who are different from you. Because in my day job, of course, I had different people, but their job is was very easy to kind of have a clear, like, this is my role. I stay in your box, right? Like, I deliver on my projects. I'm good. This is this person's role. They deliver on their projects. They're good. It's easy to get away with um, being isolated and divided, at least in the kind of jobs I had. Um, but within the ERG, we had to work together towards a common goal and we were all different and we were all volunteers. So I didn't have oversight over anybody or their career, right? <laughs> it's people showing up because they care about the course or because they care about a group and volunteering their time. It's, it's hard to, you know, not appreciate that, <laughs> but also being able to work together across differences. So I, I really, I think that experience or the experiences, I mean, continue to be learning for me because I still work with ERG. Now I'm not in, in corporate, um, but I, I, I host the space for ERGs and I have a lot of ERG members in my network. So I still feel like I'm still very connected with ERGs, even though I'm not a part of a corporation anymore. So what is it now that you do full-time? So I have two, um, I have a, two companies. Basically, one of my companies is uh, IT, networking company, and we serve the Department of Defense space and uh, IT technologies. And then um, EQI Mindset is the company that I started in 2020 after I left corporate. And I serve as a consultant to the life science and biotech space primarily, but STEM overall. So based on my experience, my work experience, and my diversity, equity, and inclusion um, interest and passion, I work with people managers and employer resource groups. 
So I go with uh, people managers on how to work with your team. You know, I, I use the word strategic inclusion sessions. And, and it's helping you to leverage the differences on your team. And this is not, of course, I'm bringing a diversity lens to it, but um, my primary goal is where your team is, meeting your team where they are, because there's diversity of skills, there's diversity of everything, and using that lens to um, work together towards the business goal, right? Like DEI is not something that is separate or sits on the DEI team. DEI is something that every individual, every people manager and team should be incorporating into what they do. So my goal is to help from the bottoms up to build inclusive workplaces. And, and that's why employee resource groups and, and people manager, which I work with managers who have a team of uh, between three and 10. And we do like session, identify the need, and then uh, do workshops based on what we are, uh, what we identify for the group. And do you have any suggestions for a situation where it's not the manager who would say like want to empower the group uh, and therefore they might not have the ability to make change in the DEI world? So. If I understand your question, you're trying to say, do you have any idea if the manager is not like a very, if the manager is not acting right, <laughs> basically, and the individuals in the team are trying to, you know, make a difference. I, I think that's where the ERG or employee groups or alternatively will be um, organizations uh, really comes in because again, building inclusion from the ground up is every individual owning inclusion in their workplaces. So employee resource groups is something where regardless of your manager or your function or your team, you can choose to join an ARG and you can begin to actively uh, uh, participate and take the lead on programs. If you don't have an ARG at your company, you can identify organizations that are aligned with, with your identity dimensions. So again, you might think being black is more important to me, but being a woman has been more of the, the challenge and the barrier, right? So for me, when I started getting involved with organizations, it's professional organizations that support women not professional organization that support Black. So that was my starting place because that was the most important to me. So again, as individuals, we need to figure out what dimensions of my identity need to be fed. What brings, what, what creates belonging for me? And if I can't find that space in my day job, you find that space where you can get it because it starts with our identity. If we don't stand in our identity, then we look around and we're trying to figure out how to be like this person, how to be this person, how to be the other person, you know, like I had to come to terms with, I am an immigrant, you know, I grew up in Nigeria. I grew up in a culture that is community-based, community-oriented, family, large family. Um, we didn't have a lot, but there was lots of fun in my house, right? And um, mentorship was something that was introduced to me earlier on. So learning to lean on relationships, learning to build relationships, even, even though I had the advantage that I had good relationships around me growing up, 
But the confidence that I built from having that existing um, circle and community, transferring it to my life when I moved out of everything and became by myself, now realizing the importance of building a community of circle around my passion, around my uh, belonging desires, that makes sense. Um, so that would be my suggestion would be find what that is for you and, you know, lean into it wherever you can find it, whether in your company or outside. Don't, your manager doesn't owe you. <laughs> Even though a good manager will be a coach, will be supportive, will, you know, champion inclusion, that's the ideal world. But the reality is it's not always the case. Um, so you can't sit and blame your manager. It's your life. It's your identity. And, and, and the journey to get into that, you need people. So you have to find the people that will support you on that journey. Right. I appreciate you sharing that and answering my very poorly worded question. <laughs> <laughs> so have you had the chance to go back to Nigeria since leaving? Oh, yeah. So actually, I, I uh, met my husband here. He's, he was born here, but he's also from Nigeria. So we went for our wedding in 2010. And then I actually lost my parents in 2015. Um, so we went back for the funeral. Um, I haven't gone back since then, but I have like all my families there. <laughs> well, except for my new family unit here. But um, yeah, so I have lots of family there. I, I COVID kind of disrupted things. I do have plans to go back. <laughs> of course, yes. So then, obviously, you're writing this book, and it has to do with being an immigrant. Can you talk a little bit about what that process has been like? Okay, the process, I'm going to talk about the two aspects of this process. <laughs> First is the technicality of actually writing a book. And the second one is the journey that I didn't really think about before I started because um, this book is about my story. It's about my experiences and is something that I, I did a lot of primary interviews for. So I interviewed a lot of women from all over the world, not just Africa, not just Nigeria, right? So hearing people share their experiences with me and, you know, some of it resonates with me, some of it ended up being a learning experience for me. Um, it validated the idea that I primarily had for the book, which is the identity. My identity is really tied about to being an immigrant. And I found out the people I connected with the most were immigrants from everywhere. Right. So the, I'm also, I do public speaking and storytelling, sharing stories about my experiences. I like to connect through stories and I had to do a lot of digging when I was writing this book, you know, like writing about different topics and then thinking about a story from my childhood. So the process really took me back home a lot. And then, as I said, you know, my dad passed away in 2015 and then my mom passed away four months after. So I had to go home twice for two funerals. And I think coming back for the longest time, I really didn't want to think about home. It was almost like, oh, that chapter is closed and I don't want to deal with it. But I think it, the timing was just really right for me to really think about my childhood. So the process of writing this book has taken me down memory lane a lot. Like my childhood, like fond memories. Um, somebody asked me, oh, do you want to go back and 
here memories and I'm like, I don't want to go back because I don't want, I want the memories to remain the way they are in my mind. If I go back now, the house is not the same, <laughs> right? Um, and they are not there. If I go back now, it's probably going to be a lot of heaviness for me. Oh, that's what I think. I don't know. I'll probably go back at some point, like to my house. Um, but for me, it's like being able to tell the stories, to capture the stories, to share the stories. It's always going to be that way. You know, those memories are always going to be that way. So this experience has really taken me, um, before I started writing the book, I started doing a lot of writing on Medium about my childhood and a lot of digging of memories and yeah, that's been, I was kind of surprised by that, but it's also, I, I also loved it. So self-discovery, going back to my identity and then my, you know, professional life in, in corporate America. So those two, um, seeing how they meet up and how my cultural background has shaped the way I work, the way I've thrived at work and exploring with other women, how that happens, right? Like, how did you grow up? What was your childhood like? What is it like? What are you struggling with the most in, in corporate America as a, as a shell? Not just in America, you know, it's in the corporate workplace. So that process for me personally has been um, a lot of digging and exploring and rediscovery. But the technical process itself has been hard. <laughs> I, I have learned there's a difference between writing articles that... I don't share with anybody and I don't care if random strangers see. And writing a doctoral um, level writing with school and then writing a book, totally different. <laughs> so, you know, writing a book, um, I, I've been reminded by my editor a couple of times, like, yeah, English is not my first language. No, it's not. I thought I was good, but no, I'm not. <laughs> because you write something and then somebody else reads it and like, oh, this is what you're trying to say. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's what I was trying to say. So all of that process, technical process, but I've had a great team. I, I worked, I'm part of a program, a cohort writing uh, group, and it's been refreshing having that support as a first-time author, having a group of editors and um team of a uh, network of professionals who do this all the time, who are helping to review my work, give guidance um, as I write. That's really great. And it's funny because it's like spoken English is also just so different than written English. So it's, you know, <laughs> let alone then having it as not your first language. Oh my gosh, it's so different. And I, I started my doctoral program in 2019 and that will be, so I'm a scientist by discipline originally. So my degrees have been in science, right? Like we do the numbers, do the calculations, we do the analytical side. I have never had to write so many formal papers in my life, <laughs> you know, submitting multiple papers. But again, that was a process for me, formal writing. I had to learn formal writing. I had to learn citation and I thought I was good. And then I started writing this book and I had to unlearn that. Because then my editor had to be like, that's too formal. Yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's different types of writing. So, <laughs> and then what you're saying too is like, when you're reading a book, what do you want them to feel? And, and I had to understand that that's why I find some books difficult to read. I find business books that are too technical, difficult to read. Because I don't, when I'm reading a book, I don't want to, you know, I don't want my brain to be stressed out. 
when I'm reading a book, is that's why I like, you know, like, um, I like a little bit of suspense sometimes, but really I like easy reading, casual reading on the beach. I want something relaxing. I don't want an S- NCIS movie in my hand, you know? So <laughs> I, had to, I had to learn that, okay, what style, what is your voice? What is your natural voice? So my editor helped that with that. It's like, write like you're speaking. It's like, that is hard because I love speaking more than I like writing. <laughs> And what are you getting your doctorate in? Oh, so I'm getting a doctorate in uh, strategic leadership. And I'm working on my dissertation plan, actually, this term. And it's around um, minorities and leadership. So it has to be tied to leadership because my original intent was to make this around employee resource groups. So I'm I'm still in the process of formulating my dissertation plan in the next uh, four to six weeks. And then what is the dissertation process going to be like? I was hoping my book would be my dissertation process (laughs) because um, sort of similar to my experience with the book, I want to do a survey of a certain population. So my topic that is approved would determine what population I can do it with. I want to survey people in corporate America And then I want to interview people in corporate America around belonging and how do you feel belonging? What has helped you? What communities within the company has helped you? Um, But my program is focused on leadership. So I'm trying to work with my advisors on focusing on people within corporate who are in the C-suite. For example, there are a lot of onlys. When it comes to immigrants, there are a lot of people, very few. Um, There's a lot of people who are the only immigrant, the only, you know, woman, the only woman of color, like being able to capture what has your experiences been like in terms of how did you get there and what has helped you so that people that look like you and and feel like you can learn actionable steps from um, your experiences. Now, you mentioned at one point, um, that you were in an employee resource group for working parents. So what has it been like doing all of this while also being a mom? Uh, That's why I started the employee resource group for working parents. I actually started it at my company because, um, so I have three kids. When I had my first, I was a contractor. I was a, what what is it called? Temporary employee. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, no, I was a new hire who had only been with the company a couple of months. So I wasn't qualified for benefits and I didn't have a clue about what the rights are. So I remembered like pumping, coming back to work and pumping in some toilets <laughs> next to the entryway. I I remembered even being pregnant and tired and having to go take a nap in the car. You know, it was just sort of a very isolating process of being a parent while, while working. Um, but when I had my second child, um, I was at this company. I had already been involved with employee resource groups. And I came back and I realized, first, I had a remote manager and my manager didn't have kids. So even starting from when I was pregnant and I told him I was pregnant, he was like freaking out. Like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, well, I don't know what to do. Right? Like, do you need anything? Because he was a remote person. We were not on the same site. And so he didn't know anything about my side. And so he was like, 
I don't have kids. I don't. And I'm like, calm down. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, I'll figure it out. Um, but having to figure everything all out with the paperwork and all that. And then coming back, there wasn't, okay, where are the nursing rooms? Do we even have nursing rooms? Um, would my team understand that I have to go pump? You know, like I had this missing community at this stage of my life. And all the people that I knew that, because a lot of people were leaving. After they come back from maternity, they will leave because they couldn't handle it. And, um, and yeah, so I just felt like, okay, this is another community that nobody's really talking about. And I remembered when I first pitched it, the, the feedback I was getting was, well, this is not a minority group. This is not a black or Asian or, you know, Latin, like working parents. There are lots of working parents. I was like, well, that's the point. There are lots of working parents, but there's nothing in place to support them. Nobody is listening to what they need right? Nobody, there's no forum where you can get feedback or make sure you're getting the right information. So when I pitched it to our, our leader then, and I was like, I don't know, I feel like there's a need for these. And I was trying to provide all of these, but it ended up being, um, well, you should launch it. If it doesn't exist, then you should launch it. So we launched it as a, as a pilot program. And then it became an official employer resource group for the company later. But I think having that group also helped. Um, and then having manager that understood the need for flexibility. But again, I think it just started with finding my own voice. Because again, when I had my first child, I didn't know what I was supposed to ask. I was just grateful that, you know, I found the, the toilet space to pump. <laughs> right. Um, but when I had my second child, I had been involved with employer resource groups. I kind of knew hey, there's a need here. It's not just me. I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for a population, a group. Um, there needs to be more in place to support this group, right? So starting that group and finding other women who are working, who have little kids. Um, like the first time my kid went to preschool, like what do you get a preschool teacher as a birthday gift? I don't know. What do people do with their kids in you know, some spring break? You know, like those kind of questions, having the communities to ask, like in summer, learning that, okay, most people try and take their vacation in summer because the schools are off, right? So you don't put big projects in summer. You don't pick up big projects. You know, so all of that navigation, um, the ERGs helped me. Uh, my ERG helped me. And, um, and I also had a flexible arrangement where I was able to thankfully, you know, sort of change my hours. Because at that time, my, I was dropping my daughter. I was dropping my son at a different school. I was dropping my daughter at a different daycare. Um, so doing two drop-offs, the earliest I could come to work was 9, sometimes 10. And I had to leave at 4.30 because I needed to pick up my kids, right? So having a manager who understood that I would get my work done, even if I have to work in the evening, but I can only come in within this window of time. That was super helpful. Um, and yeah, that was super helpful because it's a season. And, and my take is if you can't support your employees during a certain season, you know, then what is all the talk about inclusion, right? Because in life, everybody's bound to have some changes. You know, people lose people, people go through health crises. There's always going to be something going on with an employee while, where you need to accommodate them. So it's the same thing for being a parent. Adjust. Um, if you know this person does a good job and does a good um, 
and it's somebody you trust, or even if you don't trust, I mean, you, you figure out the trust parts before all of this happens. If I've walked there and you've seen my work and my effort, you can't, um, yeah, you, I, I can't have the same rigid rules and framework as everybody else because I have little kids and that's just the reality. And it's great to hear that, you know, when you started that group, you know, it came from your own internal need, but then also realizing, hey, I'm not the only one who needs this. Yeah. And I think uh, as women, I know that's my experience and I've talked to a couple of people too. It's, it's easier for me to fuck it up <laughs> if it's just me, right? Because you just feel like, eh, you know, don't be a crybaby or don't. But if you are advocating for other people, it's usually something that you can do better. So sometimes we just have to find a bigger need, you know, find a bigger need that you're passionate about. Like I could have pumped in my car easily, right? But like I bought like a pumping machine that, you know, I could plug into my, <laughs> my car charging point, right? Like it's okay, I'm fine, you know? But then I'm thinking about it that not everybody has the luxury of sneaking out for 30 minutes, three 30 minute sessions, right? So that's the first thing is that I had a job where I could like disappear for different 30 minutes, but I would take my laptop with me and I would sometimes I would sit on meetings or I'll be working and we had nursing rooms, right? So I'm thinking if, if people have to hide to do all these things, there are people that have different work conditions. There are people on the distribution floor and manufacturing floor, right? Like we need to bring people out of hiding and be able to address that there's a need for this population. How are we dealing with that? So, yeah, I think when we find those needs that, you know, it's part of career advancement. When we find a gap that fills something for more than just us, but for a group of people, that's where the innovation side starts and finding our purpose and passion. Definitely. I don't think I have any other specific questions before I start to wrap things up. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners today? I think, I think I already mentioned it um, around identity. I, I just, I love the theme of this podcast. I love the fact that you're talking to different people because for me, it's like, give people a chance. Listen, everybody has a different story. Just might learn more than you think uh, you know. You know, we all have bias and, and uh, stereotype image. Now, I had the introduction chapter of my book. Um, I tell the story about being in a meeting at work and somebody asking me, how did I get here? Um, and I was like, uh, an airplane, <laughs> you know, and and then asking, like, are you trying to bring your family over? And there, there's a difference, there's, there's a tone that some questions come and you know, but it still kind of stumped me because I'm at, you know, I'm at this corporate workplace and I'm like thriving. So there's this media portrayal of immigrant and there's the media portrayal of the word immigrant and the feeling of, you know, oh, these people are struggling and they escaped to come here and, oh, poor you, oh, you have done so well for yourself. And sometimes we have to question why we have those beliefs, right? We have to be open to 
identifying opportunities for learning about people. So I got that, you know, questions even right from college. Like, how did you get here? I once had somebody ask me, uh, where did you live? Like actually asking me where humans live in Nigeria. <laughs> and it's like, ah, we don't live on trees. <laughs> you know, it's ask questions, get curious, ask people. It's the way the questions are asked sometimes. That's what make people get defensive and angry. Um, but if we all stay within this mindset of, I don't know enough. I don't know anything. I can always learn from somebody else. I always love the opportunity to tell people about my culture, about my background, about growing up in Nigeria. But I, you would get defend. You will get a defensive reaction if you ask it as sort of a. There's a different way you can ask a question that makes the the hairs on the back of people turn around. So the same thing at work. The same thing with people that are different from you. Um, be curious. Be curious, no matter what you think you know about a group, which we all fall into that category of grouping people, grouping, you know, people based on background, on physical appearance, on stage of life. When you get to know somebody and actually ask them questions, you'll be surprised at what you will learn. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. So (laughs) I hope you get to know somebody through this podcast, through, you know, the person next door, the person walking uh, walking next to you in the office. Yes, I I absolutely love you sharing those uh, personal stories there at the end. And we were talking before we started recording about the learning about other people. And I, I do think it's really great. Now, at the end of every episode, I do ask all of my guests a random question. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a different question, but not, you know, really related to what we talked about. So my question is, what do you wish you had learned in school that you ended up learning later in life? What do I wish I had learned in school? But depending on what school you ask me, I'm I'm thinking about the school you ask me now is Nigeria. When I was in school in Nigeria, I did very well, but it's easy to to do well. I guess not everybody does very well, but <laughs> I think for me, it's easy to tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it and I'll get the grade. Right. So I wish I had gotten more lessons around life and people and humans as opposed to, you know, the physics and the chemistry <laughs> and the biology and memorizing textbooks and passing, getting a passing grade. Uh, because I think there's a lot of focus on all of those technical skill sets, but real life is really real life and it's about people and and that's why i love internship experiences that's why i love programs where you know people in the business come to school i wish i had more of that um when i was in school like actual real life experience not textbook experience (laughs) how to deal with people how to work with different people how to get to know different people um i think you know education program as a whole there's a lot of opportunity there and then, um, and then, you know, in Nigeria or kind of in my circles, like I finished high school at 16. Um, I think I got into college. It's like everything is so you don't have life experience and you go into college to study a program that you haven't even met anybody who studied biochemistry. I go into study biochemistry. I don't know any biochemists. Right. So it's like <laughs> this structured learning as opposed to experiential learning. I wish I had more of that. 
All right, that brings this episode to a close. I will be leaving a couple links for Lola in the description, including her website for being a speaker and her Instagram. Um, and I will include some audio from her directly right here where she explains some good things that she's doing on those sites. My book, Milestone and Journey, is on my Instagram at Immigrants Incorporate. So Immigrants Incorporate on Instagram. And then my speaker website is Lola Speaker. Um, I do public speaking uh, around, you know, my identity to um, around employee resource groups. Um, so yeah, so my speaker website, lolaspeaker.com, and then my Instagram at Immigrants Incorporate. So if you want have questions about employee resource group, that's my niche, that's my passion. Um, if you just want to learn about it, um, feel free to connect. I have a space that I hold every month. We have a call with employee resource group members from different company and we network, collaborate, and learn. So um, everything employee resource groups, happy to connect, happy to chat. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is also in the description that brings you to all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And of course, in the description is my email address. If you would like to connect with me or to donate to the podcast monetarily, that link is in the description as well. So thank you so much, Lolo, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thank you, Sarah. It was so nice talking to you. You're very, very easy to talk to and obviously good at this. Um, Thank you for bringing the conversation nicely around all the things that are important to be employee resource group, my background, and my book. It's been nice being here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.